I was telling Harmony that when I was younger, I used to preach mostly without notes. Now I'm up to like four pages. <laughs> if you'll uh, turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start in verse 13. I did a little research. Troy keeps a preaching schedule. And I believe this is going to be about the 55th message from Luke in one form or another. Uh, going all the way back to November uh, after Thanksgiving of 2021. Um, it's kind of ironic because if my family knows of, of things I like to rant about, I'm not a big fan of review or summary. Now, I'm sure somebody here who's an educator can tell me why I'm completely wrong to not like <laughs> review and summary, but I won't listen. We all have to have things we just want to hold on to regardless of whether it's rational or not. And so it's kind of funny that I'm here doing the end of the book of Luke, unless I mess up and Troy feels like he needs to correct something next week, in which this will be the second to last message from Luke. But I was thinking about that, I was like, 55 messages from Luke, if you just do an average of three points a message, right, that's what, 160 or so points. So since it's a holiday weekend, and you don't have anywhere to be, I thought I'd review them all. <laughs> See, you're not a fan of review either. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of the living God, I'm going to read uh, the account on the Emmaus Road, and then I'm going to uh, move down a bit. I'm not going to read the entire thing. And Luke writes, in starting in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named uh, Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
and went at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus then appears to the disciple uh, to various reactions. But I want to uh, move down to 44. And Jesus kind of begins uh, the end of this, or Luke begins the end of this with Jesus saying, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, in the next few moments, open up the eyes of our heart. Open up our minds. Lord, as we go to your scripture, Lord, help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to understand. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves, to see ourselves and our sin clearly, that we may see you in your glory and majesty. Uh, Lord, please help me, I pray in your name. Amen. If you were to go back in time three years ago, today, or this weekend roughly, which probably not many of us would want to do, um, and you were to go down to the grocery store down the road, and maybe you're standing there in line at the grocery store, I, think, I believe by this time you're, you're well masked, you're probably standing on your little X, right? And there's somebody standing on the little X six feet in front of you and six feet behind you. If you've just been to the toilet paper aisle, there's, if there's any toilet paper, there's like a sign that you can only, you know, grab one thing of toilet paper. There are more wipes and hand sanitizing stations than you've ever seen in your life. And the cashier looks like they work in the worst part of town because they are encased in plexiglass and you can't make any contact with them. So say you're standing on your ex there with your mask and somebody walks into the store, no mask, and walks right up to you, gets in your face, right? Now, some of you might be panicking by this time. It would feel, it was awkward by that time, right, for someone to come that close. And the guy looks at you and says, what's with the mask? And what's with the X? And why can't I get toilet paper? You're going to be like, did you come from Mars? Are you the only person that doesn't know about the events of the last two months? This is the kind of environment, this is a, the kind of context we have here on the Emmaus Road. 
The idea that someone would come up to these two disciples, and this is just how, just the, the size and the scope and, and the impact of the events of the crucifixion of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem and his crucifixion over the last seven days. That these disciples get greeted by this visitor and they're like, how can you not know all that has gone on? And as we go through this account, and this is a, an enormous passage, uh, thanks, Troy. Um, but uh, uh, so I'm not going to be able to get to all of it, obviously. Uh, but as we go through this passage, and this is Luke wrapping up his book, a book that he started by saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you may have certainty, so that you may be certain about what you've taught what you've been taught, and what you've learned. As we go through this, we are going to see the followers of Jesus really go on this gradient from disbelief up to risking their lives. In the span of just about 40 days, they go from cowering and afraid to fearless and convicted. And this morning, I want to kind of take us through that journey and really get to the heart of it. And I want us to look at ourselves and our, our own level of certainty in what we're doing here this morning at church. And so I want to start this morning by looking, first of all, at the disciples wondering. And really, I'm being kind with that uh, title because really, it starts out with disbelief. Uh, we didn't read it this morning, but if you look with me all the way back up in uh, verse 1, when the women go to the tomb, and they go to the tomb and they find that the uh, stone is rolled away, and they encounter the angels. And interestingly, the angels say to the women, "Why, are, essentially, why are you here? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? That might shock you a little, right? Maybe as you thought about this, you thought it was like a noble good thing that the women went to the tomb to prepare the body. But they're like, no, why are you here? You're not remembering his words. It's the third day. He's not going to be here, and he's not there. And they, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Now, interestingly, uh, in the, to, Luke kind of gives a tribute to the women in that he writes down in verse 8 and he says, and they remembered his words. So actually the women have this encounter and they actually believe and remember. Not so much for the men. Uh, in fact, I, I wonder if, and this is just me like adding to it, but like I wonder for like the rest of this time, the women are in the corner shaking their heads. Like as the disciples go through all this other thing. Because what happens is here is the women go back and they say what happened. And the men say, these are idle tales. Basically, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. You're making this up. Now, Peter and John run to the tomb. Peter, they look in. They see, the, they see what's going on. And, and, and Luke records it this way. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. May I do that? of that marveling, it actually appears a couple times in this, is, is wondering. Sometimes it's used of like being amazed by something. But we know from this, and we also from the context here, and we also know from John's account of it, they weren't putting it together. 
They weren't saying, oh yeah, just like he said, he rose, he's, he's risen. Jesus is bodily risen. The Lord is risen. They weren't putting it together. They weren't seeing. They weren't understanding. They're like, I, I don't know what to make of this. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And when we pick up with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, we see this same sort of wondering, this same sort of, uh, of kind of disbelief. It is disbelief. And he said to them, what is this conversation? If you look in verse 17, that you are holding with each other as you walk. And they stood still looking sad. Luke records, they're sad. They're not rejoicing in the resurrection. They're disappointed with the way things had turned out. And they go through the story, and, and, and you see they say, he was a man, he was a prophet, mighty indeed were before God and all the people. But we had hoped that he would one day, that he was the one to redeem Israel. This, this most likely, their expectations was of a conquering Messiah that would free them from the Roman rule. They weren't seeing it. They weren't getting it. We didn't read this part of it. Um, but as the disciples are talking about all these things, as the disciples from the Emmaus Road come back and they tell them what happened and they're telling them what Peter saw and then he appeared to Peter. And you would think, all right, now they're convinced, right? Now they've got it. They're good to go. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And then this is almost comical. But they were startled and threatened, frightened and thought they saw a spirit. It's kind of funny that Jesus like shows up and is like, peace. And they're like, ah, it's a ghost. They definitely didn't say, oh, Lord, you're back, as you said you would be. Right? They don't, they're like, it's a ghost. Now, on one hand, I guess, maybe we take comfort from this, right? Because uh, these people saw a lot, right? We're talking the apostles. We're talking disciples that were very close. Disciples that would recognize him. Know what he said. Saw miracles. Knew all the stories. Knew about Lazarus. They saw a lot. Heard a lot. But they didn't put it all together. They didn't believe. Now, I understand, and again, there's things that we can't get to. Uh, that there's an interaction throughout this passage in the absolute sovereignty of God, even over the human eye. But in no time in this passage is the responsibility of, of the, the disciples and the followers to believe, negate it. And you can wrestle with that on your own. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. Jesus, Jesus says to them, fools, you don't believe. You're slow of heart. That John Calvin, the great reformer, said that the whole Emmaus Road is to rebuke. The whole account is rebuking being slow to believe. Slow to buy in. Now, at least to their credit, they're still good with ghosts, right? Spirits, right? There's people appear in the Bible that are dead. Samuel, Moses, Elijah. They're still good with that. Are we good with that? You see, we live in a, a heavily materialistic culture. And by that, I don't just mean money, which is a problem, too. We focus a lot on money. I mean, like, we think absolutely everything can be explained 
We don't allow for the supernatural anymore. We don't allow for the metaphysical. We just, we don't buy in. Interestingly, with the comments about expecting a Messiah, it shows that, that despite their interactions with Jesus, their experience and their expectation and their cultural context kept them from believing, kept them from hearing his words, kept them from putting it all together and understanding. They were conditioned to look for the Messiah to come a certain way. And when he came and died on a cross, it just made no sense. Even though it was clear from the Old Testament, that's what was going to happen. They were conditioned. I'm curious this morning, what parts of, and, and, and I'm speaking this morning to Christians. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, but you came, you're wondering what this is all about. The questions are absolutely valid. Christianity has some hard questions that need to be answered. They have been answered and answered very well. But there are hard questions. I'm telling you that as a Christian, long-time Christian, what are you doubting this morning? What are you not buying in on? Jesus makes it pretty clear that the angels too, the angels know what's going on. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus, fools, why are you so slow to believe all that's been written, all that I said? So you have them wondering, doubting, can't figure it out. The second part of this that I want to uh, go into is the word. Now, Jesus goes to some lengths here, and Luke does to record it, the reality of his bodily resurrection. From the time he was crucified, the bodily resurrection of Jesus has been uh, a point that has caused trouble in the church. In fact, many of the earliest heresies and, and, and problems, uh, people would say, oh, he came back as a spirit, but not as a body. And so it's some of that that you read in your text there um, is... Just demonstrating that he was bodily. It's a bodily resurrection. He's alive today. 100% man. 100% God. He's the God man. R.C. Sproul said this about that. He said, when we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we are not proclaiming the eternal significance of an idea. Nor are we saying that Jesus lives on in somebody's memory. Or that his reappearances were simply visionary experience. The confession of the Church of Christ for 2,000 years has been and must continue to be an unequivocal, unequivocal conviction of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anything less is at complete variance with the testimony of the New Testament. This was no vision confronting the disciples. It was a resurrected body. To be sure, it was a glorified body and changes had taken place in it that we do not understand but the text declares unequivocally that it was a bodily resurrection. The text, the word. Three times throughout this section, Jesus uh, or the angels bring them back to the word. Whether it's the words Jesus himself spoke or whether it's the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, he says, my word, the word. 
Just like the word said. In some sense, he's like, I told you I was coming. And then he came and he died. I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to rise. The word. Over and over again. By the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit. The word. Let me ask you this morning, where are you in your relationship with the word of God? How are you doing in your relationship with the word of God? As far as for a priority. Importance in your life. You see, we doubt because we don't know the word. We don't understand the word. We, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But we don't even know maybe what that means. And we have doubts, we have questions, we have things. We don't understand just how these things have been explained. How objections to our faith have been answered. What the text is really saying. Where are you this morning in your relationship with the word? Now, we live, again, in a time where we are very proud of our simplification of things. We're, we're a pragmatic people. And that's especially true when it comes to the word of God. Maybe you've heard something along those lines, and I've heard this many ways, but it's like, don't need theology, just need to love Jesus. Or maybe you've, you've heard something like this, like, doctrine divides, but love unites. Now, first of all, those things sound awesome. They make you sound humble, wise, but they're just not good. They're not biblical ideas. See, and, and now if you're here this morning, you're a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, I'm glad you're here. And I uh, don't even mean to insult you. In fact, you probably know that our view of Jesus and your view of Jesus is vastly different. But do the Christians know? See, because, and some of you know, that's kind of an extreme example, right? So like, I might say, so I say, you say to me, you know what? We just need to love Jesus. And I say, well, which Jesus? The Jesus of the Mormons? To which the, the longtime Christian might reply to me, oh, of course not that. Well, how are you making that distinction? You're more of a theologian than you think. More need for theology than you, than you want to say. You get my point? You're doing theology there, aren't you? You're taking the word, expressing it there, aren't you? We love to say, like, like I said, doctrine divides, but love unites. Well, what's the definition of love? Is it loving just to affirm everything somebody does, no matter what? That's not a biblical definition of love. See, we, we like to, ah, you know, we just got, we like to simplify. But it's really not what we're called to do. Let me give you a, another one here. What, how are, you, are you comfortable with Jesus calling his, his close disciples fools? 
Does that upset you that Jesus would say that? Jesus says a lot of hard things, doesn't he? Through the book of Luke, he had a lot of hard things to say. At one point he tells, he calls, says to Peter, get, get behind me. I don't, I don't remember if this is Luke, but get behind me, Satan. You care more about the things of man than the things of God. He says this to Peter. Close follower. Closest follower. Do you, you say this word, do you want to know Jesus? Do, do you want to know Jesus? Yes. But are you willing to know the Jesus of the word? Are you willing to take him as he really is? As he's revealed himself. Be humbled before him. Let God be God. It might, it's confrontational to us. Convicts us of sin. Changes who we are. Let me give you one more little test here. What's your investment in a vast already, but what let me, let me let me put it this way. What's your investment in the word right now? Did you know this, that this morning you could go, in fact you do it while I'm preaching, but please don't. You could go on a phone or, or go on your computer at home, and for three to five hundred dollars, you could purchase a, a Bible application with a library that would last you a lifetime. And you would have more resources than Luther or Calvin or Augustine or the apostles could ever have dreamed about at your fingertips. I was in a Hebrew class in seminary once uh, and the professor was talking about how in the 70s and 80s he would spend all morning working on one word for like a commentary or something. And, and what used to take him four hours, now the hardest part was thinking up the command line to put in to do the search. See, when I said that though, maybe you went like, you're like three to 500 on Bible software? Are you insane? Well, what will you spend three to 500 on? And again, I'm not like, I don't have any contracts or any sponsorships, so or even a discount code to offer you. I'm just using that to provoke you to think. Your priority, your value. You want to know the risen Christ, right? Let me give you, if, if you want some help here. Now, first of all, I would say this, and I've said this a lot. I've only preached, this is the second I've preached here, so I'm probably not repeating myself, but maybe I am. I will, I don't, I don't care. One of the things that has been uh, a contention for me being in and around youth ministry and Christian education for 25 years is how we treat our kids as being so dumb. <laughs> so like, even right now, it, it, a lot of you might be convinced that the way for a child to be happy is to just get STEM skills and have a great job. Well, STEM is complicated. It's complex. It's heavy math. It's uh, heavy sciences, biology, chemistry. Uh, calculus. See, our children are doing complex things at school. Maybe at different levels, different abilities, but they are doing complex things at school. I know, I've opened the books. I, it's hard. I'm not very helpful. But when it comes to the Bible, we're like, oh, just a tiny spoon. We don't want him to choke. 
we, we, we have the catechism class, or the uh, communicants class. We've been going through the catechism. Really is what we're doing, is going through points on the catechism. A couple weeks ago, we did the Trinity. If you want to be frightened, teach the Trinity to like third to sixth graders. You realize how much you need to study. But you know what our catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, one of them, great place for you to start. You can get it free online, by the way. It's not three to 500. Um, we probably have copies of it. Start. Go question one. Has, most of them have verse proofs. Easy way to start. You can do it. Trust me, you can do it. You're smart enough. You have the power of God. So we have the wondering. And by the way, I say all that to say, you want to know Jesus. You want to be certain. You want to live in the joy that is mentioned over and over and over again in the New Testament. You want to be filled with all the fullness of God that he has promised us. Be in the word. Learn it. Meditate on it. That's why I chose Psalm 119. Over and over again, God, let me know. Open my eyes to understand your rules. Open my eyes to see your commandments. I want to know you, Lord. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Or do you sit somewhere like the disciples were between the morning and the end, just wondering, doubting, joyless? Luke finishes here, and he kind of, uh, now, as you know, uh, the Gospel of Luke was a runaway bestseller, and so he came up with a sequel. Um, not, it didn't really happen that way, probably. He probably written within a two-year span, around 60 AD. Um, and he kind of summarizes at the end, goes into this more in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see this summary that, that Luke writes, and he's talking about the church, and he said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And, and at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he says, and he led them as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and when he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, in return with great joy to, with great joy and we're continuing in the temple blessing God. It, that's where we are today. This isn't the literal temple. We're actually the temple. Not much has changed. He went up, ascended, and now we're waiting. From the moment he went up, they were waiting for him to come back. Guess what we're doing? We're waiting. And we're continuing in the work. Continuing in the apostles' teaching. The breaking of bread. Fellowship. Praying together. The book of Acts traces the explosion of the gospel across the ancient Near East. Into, uh, up into places like Rome. And to be honest, I know that there were different gifts and things at the time, but for the most part it wasn't spectacular. Persecution quickly came. And, and, and a lot of how the gospel was spread were people being persecuted and having to move. And they went to a new place and they lived a life that was so different that they were known as people of the way. 
They lived and believed differently from the, from the culture that they were in. And the gospel spread and spread and spread. Still today, that's where we are today. Not much has changed. But let me ask you this this morning. We went over the disciples who were told in the Old Testament that he was coming, that he was going to die, that he was going to rise again, and they didn't see it. We've been told he's coming back. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we live pretty faithlessly a lot of times. I know I do, Lord. Um, Lord, I find a million ways to be distracted. A million excuses not to spend time with your word. Lord, it's pretty easy to make me doubt, as you know. Lord, I'm grateful for your word, for your spirit, for your grace. Lord, help us to see this morning, Lord. Help us to see our own lives, our own patterns, our own habits. Lord, we want to know you. Um, open up our eyes, Lord, to really know you. Lord, help us not to be blinded by our experience, by things that, that we just don't want to accept. Oh, Lord, work deeply in us. We know you're a sovereign over all things. And Lord, you have said you are coming again. Uh, Lord, you are the Lord. All things will culminate in you. Lord, help us to live in the reality of that. Help us not to be blind. Help us not to be slow to believe and foolish. Lord, we know you're good. And you grant all things in your will. And Lord, uh, help us now to pray as we pray your prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy 